a lot of people have creative ideas. You're probably sitting at your desk one day, bored out of your gourd, thinking, I got to do something else. And very few people act on those. That was Lucy Danziger. And so we launched a product line similar to what you were saying. Everybody has a brilliant idea, but they don't want to execute it or they're afraid to. And I always made my own camera straps. I was going to events. I could not show up to Fashion Week with like a big Sony or Canon opposite a cocktail dress or black. But I love carrying around my camera. I wanted to be chic. So I started making my own chain camera straps. I put charms on them and people love them. That was Lara Yordolian. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning in and coming to meet us here at WeWork for the launch of our new Marnie on the Move live podcast series, Creative Conversations, presented by Talent House. And special thanks to Navitas Organics, Wetterspoon, Four Sigmatic, Core, and Brothmasters for fueling our event. Talent House is the largest global creative content ecosystem with 4 million members spanning 175 countries. The company was founded with the goal of giving the independent creative entrepreneur living in remote parts of the world an opportunity for their work to be seen or heard. For over 10 years, they have kept this promise because they believe cultural diversity means creative diversity. This allows brands from Porsche, Pepsi, and Unilever to Warner Brothers, Absolute, Amazon, and Google access to diverse, scalable creative storytelling in nearly every vertical in the imagination. As a creative entrepreneur with over 20 years in brand building, partnerships, public relations, and storytelling, it is great to be teaming up with such an inspiring company of like-minded creative types. Tonight's live episode and conversation is beyond empowering and inspiring. Get ready for some amazing entrepreneurial advice, insight, and wisdom from hinted founder and CEO, Lucy Danziger, also a former podcast guest, so make sure you download her episode as well. And Pretty Connected founder and CEO, Lara Yordolian, new to the Money on the Move podcast. Hinted is a very cool, game-changing social shopping platform and app designed to take the guesswork out of gift giving and empower you with the tools you need to get everything you want in life. You can make a wish list of anything you desire, from a pair of shoes to a new watch, a vacation, your next triathlon bike, your favorite charity, or even a puppy. Empowered by nearly two decades in publishing at Condé Nast, including 13 years at the helm of Self Magazine as editor-in-chief, Lucy Danziger is no stranger to creating and curating great content. For years, she has been advising on terrific products, telling stories, building audiences, helping brands drive sales and attract customers. Lucy grew self.com to more than 6.5 million visitors per month. 
But after 13 plus years on the brand side, it was time for Lucy to move on, which is where Hinted begins. My second guest, also from the world of media, Lara Yordolian, is the creator and innovator behind the award-winning beauty, fashion, and lifestyle blog, Pretty Connected, which started as one of the first beauty blogs in New York City, launching over a decade ago, has now expanded as a multi-platform brand and content across categories including fashion, lifestyle, pets and travel, and a line of accessories. Her blog was the beginning of her entrepreneurial journey after years of working for brands in beauty and lifestyle. Now, Lara continues to innovate in design with her fabulous accessory line and pretty connected shop where she sells boss rings, reusable straws, camera straps, and so much more. On today's episode, we cover everything from taking the leap to create your own brand, finding the balance between innovation and the process needed to grow a business, the importance of brand voice and authenticity, customer acquisition and audience development, staying relevant in an ever-changing world, and of course, the exercise and wellness that fuel our guests for success. Before we get started with our questions, Lara has a very exciting announcement. Take it from here, Lara. Yes, I launched an accessories line last year and we just launched an Urban Outfitters. So that is our exciting news. Thank you. (laughs) Since Talent House is this hub of creativity, tonight we're going to focus on these two creative entrepreneurs and how they've taken their brands and their careers from where it all began to where they are now. So I wanted to start with Lucy and just kind of talk about the fact that you come from a super creative background. You've spent your entire career writing and editing and then also building brands across multiple platforms, print, digital, all of it. So Talk to me a little bit about that. What Marnie's also not telling you is that she's a triathlete and that we <sighs> know each other from being out at five in the morning, setting up our bikes, getting ready to get in the water and doing triathlon together. And so some of the more interesting people I've met have been in that little world. And so I'm very grateful that Marnie has invited me. But actually, what I think is so interesting, since you're all entrepreneurs, is that a lot of people have creative ideas. You're probably sitting at your desk one day, bored out of your gourd, thinking... I got to do something else. And very few people act on those. So when I was at Self, I was never bored. I loved being a magazine editor, but I kept thinking, it's always this weird top-down kind of, you've seen that great scene in The Devil Wears Prada where Meryl Streep playing Miranda Priestly says, you know, the reason you're wearing cerulean blue is because the people in this room two years ago chose that color of the color of the year, and then it all trickled down. And as a magazine editor, I always felt one of the more interesting things is what your users or your readers were telling you. And so I kind of flipped that whole model on its head. And I thought editors are probably the least interesting part of this equation for me. I'm much more interested in the users and the readers and what do they need and how do I help them live a better life. So we started on self.com having this dialogue. I called it the digital dialogue. What do you need? How can we help you? solve the problems that you're facing, whether you want to be fitter or eat better or sleep better or have better energy or better body image or what is it? What? How can we help? We're here to help. We have this spate of experts. They're doctors, celebrities, whoever you need. We can find them and answer your problems. So that digital dialogue 
ballooned in this enormous digital successful story over at self.com. And it was eventually seven times bigger than the magazine. And all of Condé Nast was, how did you do that? And I don't think it necessarily works for every brand because not every brand has that same equation, which is self is how do we help you be your best self? But what I was thinking all along is, I'm really more interested in that. I'm more interested in user-generated content and that digital dialogue than just sort of anointing, everybody has to wear this yoga pant to yoga. I don't care. Just get to yoga or do whatever you want to do for all I care, but just be more active. So as I was sitting at my desk, I was conjuring up what I thought of as the self-registry. If I want to buy myself a little present because I got to the gym 10 times in 10 days, what does that look like? Or if somebody wants to buy me something other than an orchid because I put their top on the cover of the magazine, what does that look like? How do we make this digital dialogue much more dynamic? So when I left Self, and that was not by my own choosing, my bosses decided they wanted somebody else to run the magazine, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So whether you need a severance or a savings or an investor or somebody who helps you finance your launch, you need to know what idea it is that you really want to do, that you're so passionate about, that you'll go to the mat for it. You'll give up stuff for it, like income. And you'll give up stuff for it, like hanging out with people when you're working 24-7. So for me, that was this interactive platform. And so we built Hinted. And it started as 22 Hints, which was a trip, seven expensive, seven medium, seven cheap. And then that became Hinted because there was Y22. I was no reason. And then it was my happy place, my favorite number, but whatever. So then it became Hinted with an E. And now the App Store just named it New App We Love. We took off. It was this overnight success four years later, which happens all the time. People are like, wow, that's so amazing that you're now the new app we love in the App Store. Yeah, it only took four years. But the truth of it is, If you're in that mindset where you just think, I really, really want to launch something, turn that dream into a plan. Turn that plan into a little bit of action every day. Get yourself to the point where you can do it. Because even though it's been a struggle and a lot of work, I don't regret it. And I love owning a company and launching a brand and being sort of the CEO as opposed to the hired help. And even though you look at the editor herself and think, oh, she's in charge, you've got layers above you and you're constantly saying to them, it might as well be your investors, here's the plan of action, here's why I chose this plan of action, and here's the roadmap I want to go on. So when I'm talking about digital and the newsstands going away and magazines are selling fewer and fewer copies and they go, maybe we should try somebody else at the helm. I'm Have at it. Good luck. I love this brand. I hope it succeeds. Two years later, it folds. And I did not get any joy from that. I felt sad. I built this brand for 13 years and then it folded. I did feel, though, that I was confident that I was a really good sailor and the ocean dried up. So it doesn't mean if you leave your job by your own volition or you're shown the door, it doesn't matter. There's no shame. It just means you need to be spending your time on your next assignment. And that could be launching your own company. And speaking of launching your own company, mm-hmm. that's kind of what Laura did. I mean, you worked in marketing and advertising and media for years, and then you started Pretty Connected, which is your blog, which was over a decade ago, when you were trying to get Self to launch and build more of their digital content and their platform, you were already starting your blog and you were ahead of the curve in the publishing industry. 
And then we have people like Laura who are from marketing, building this platform in digital. Tell us a little bit about Pretty Connected. Yeah, absolutely. So I always came from the beauty world. I started at NARS in international marketing for a few years. I got a great opportunity with Juralik to do their rebrand when they were kind of going from a spa brand to wanting to be you know, more youthful and go into more Barney, Sephora and be a part of that whole process. And then they moved to Westchester and I am not commuting to Westchester, but I also did not know exactly what I wanted to do because during conventional marketing, there were no blogs. It was the early onset though of, I mean, there was obviously digital marketing from the sense of we sold products online, but there was not this content. You didn't have Facebook pages. Instagram was not around back then which I know is shocking to a lot of you. So you didn't have these sort of strategies. Your strategy was your newsletter at best, maybe celebrity endorsers. I'm sure Lucy knows a lot about this. But at the same time, we were starting to listen to people on Facebook, whether it was your mom, your sister, whoever, who just picked up this iGel from Jerleek and loved it. We had a very forward-thinking digital person who was really about listening to these conversations and, oh, maybe we should drop them some samples or maybe we should talk to our customers. And then you saw sort of early, early, I don't even think we'll call them beauty bloggers, but, you know, we'll call them, you know, online people. And you could just in my time at Juralik knew that was going to grow, grow to what it is today. I absolutely had zero predictions of. I'm not even going to pretend, but I decided to leave Juralik. I wish I was laid off because <laughs> then at least it would have been this big nest egg. Um, but they did actually have me stay through their fiscal year and do the commute to Westchester in exchange for a great package. So I took that. I was going to travel for a little bit. I'm going to start a blog because at NARS, I did really cool things. At Juralik, I did really cool things. I interviewed top models, celebrities, makeup artists, did fashion weeks, and then Jerleek, same. I went on so many different educational skincare trainings and whatnot, and I wanted to put that information out there. Everybody was asking me a hundred questions. All my friends worked in beauty. I was constantly trying things, and we did not have beauty blogs and Instagram and all this stuff that we have now, so people were looking for recommendations. So the blog kind of was this creative outlet. Before I even got out the door to really travel, I got offered a consulting job at Mark, which was Avon's kind of younger brand that during the Lauren Conrad days to help do some work with that. And in the months I did that project, my blog had actually really taken off. We started to see maybe five beauty bloggers in New York be invited to events and it was fun. Suddenly I'm being invited to I probably met Francois Nars more times as the blogger in two years and in two years of working directly for his company. And you're with these really amazing heads of brands and makeup artists and people that I always admired. So it was this, okay, this is fun. And then Kiehl's brought me on to launch their social media because they needed a marketing person. And no one really had social media experience because it wasn't, you it know, wasn't a thing it wasn't yet. It wasn't a realm yet. So went over there, consulted for a very long time, for years, until they were ready for a director of social media and to really, you know, at this point, the world has changed. There's a lot of digital people. And for me, it was always about expanding my brand. Even with the launch of my accessories line, it was never, I've dabbled in a lot of TV. I do a lot with the beauty shows. I've judged Glamour's Beauty Awards for four years. I've done a hundred other beauty allure videos, this video, that video. I've done a hosted a million events. And you know, at some point along the lines too, I thought blogging was going to open doors for me to meet brands, which it absolutely did. But what I didn't realize is the value was in the room of people I was meeting, the bloggers, the editors. And so I started to host events for brands because they were, how do we even navigate the space? Now, now they've gotten it, you know, now there's blogger budgets, you know, the world has changed. But with everything you've been doing for 10 years and kind of what you said too, you just see trends. And if you just continue to do the same thing, if I still did the same thing I did 10 years ago, five years ago, I'd be done. You have to evolve. 
You've got to evolve. And so we launched a product line similar to what you were saying. Everybody has a brilliant idea, but they don't want to execute it <laughs> or they're afraid to. And I always made my own camera straps. I was going to events. I could not show up to Fashion Week with like a big Sony or Canon opposite a cocktail dress or black. But I love carrying around my camera. I wanted it to be chic. So I started making my own chain camera straps. I put charms on them and people love them. And I was, someday somebody's going to make something cool like this. And I constantly Google and be on Etsy and Amazon looking for a, a cool camera strap. And the camera I have, which is a mirrorless Sony camera, a hundred people have bought that camera because of me. It's a great camera. You take a picture, it goes straight to your phone. It's light, it's cute, chic, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing they would ask is, where can we get your camera strap? Because now they also have the same issue I'm facing. So last year, I finally took it upon myself to let me explore and kind of learn something else. We launched the product line. We've launched a lot of products since, but obviously a year later, almost a year later to have a launch with Urban Outfitters is a big deal. And that's huge. It's the next step of this evolution that I'm going through. So it's been great. So, <laughs> and speaking of being super creative and having all that creativity, I know with you, Lara, and you, Lucy, how do you move out of the zone of creativity and into the zone of operations, P&L, and business, and how do you find that balance? Well, as you're talking, I'm thinking about that moment on Shark Tank where they always talk about how do you fund the creativity of your first huge big box orders. I'm thinking the good news is Urban Outfitters wants 100,000 of these by Wednesday. And the bad news is that same yeah, problem. You have to get 100,000. Right? And like that episode of I Love Lucy when she makes a successful jam or whatever it is, and then she realizes she can't afford to actually mail them. So she puts on roller skates and goes door to door. That was basically me with this right. whole Urban Outfitters. I feel, I feel like that I, every day. I want to say it was very glamorous. Yeah. I snapped my fingers and it was amazing. And it was, but it took so much work. I had calluses, literally like broken skin from like assembling things, hand doing it and weighing packages and going completely outside my comfort zone. But so it got there. it's totally different with a yes. physical product and yes. a tech product. I don't know tech. Yes. I mean, everybody at Connie Nast thought I was this tech genius because I kept saying things. We need a light gate on Facebook before we get in. They were like, what's a light gate? I was like, like a heart, a gate. And I had to like <laughs> pretend I was opening a gate. And they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, okay, friend, just did you pretend I didn't even say that? I'm just going to do it. And then you're going to understand it. And then they were like, wait, how did you get all those users to come to Facebook? So I... Literally, I'm going way back. But I, I mean, I literally sit there and I think, I'm not that tech. I'm just a little more technical than super untechnical people. And my kids make fun of me when I'm fumbling with my phone. It is so embarrassing that you are a tech founder. I, I don't really think I'm a tech founder, but I guess I am because I've created a tech product. And so funny, people talk about, I'm chief of product. Oh, okay, product is you build apps. I get it now. So we built this really cute app and I'm just going to show you it has little lists and then you can go into the feed and it's all shoppable. I didn't know how to do this. I had no clue. I just kept saying like, well, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And people are like, okay, you're designing something now. And I was like, okay. So I evolved this thing from sort of that gifting idea to that shopping idea. And then I kept signing up campus ambassadors who are now a hundred in number. And they kept saying to me, can I be social? Can we collaborate? Can we do this? Can we be private? Can this list be private so I can share it with my boyfriend and this list not be private so I can share it with my grandma? 
done. So everything they asked for, we built. We just kept building, 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 and iterating, iterating, iterating. And one day I realized I had this 18-month plan and I was going to raise a million and a half dollars and I was going to build this tech site, then do marketing. And I looked at the 18-month plan. We did all this. We did all this on a shoestring. And the reason we did it on a shoestring was because the real secret to being a magazine editor was make it look expensive, but it's actually really cheap. <laughs> so you Story had to like, of my life. Right? So you had to kind of get really scrappy. And that whole lean startup thing is real. So you did a lot of it yourself. We, we did it. And I've raised a little bit of friends and family money, but now I'm going out to raise my seed round. And finally, I'm not hearing the words, it's too early, it's too early, too early. We've built a whole lot. Now we need to market. We've had 200,000 subscribers. We have 350,000 people through the door. We have 20,000 people a month on the app. We're making money. We're actually making revenue. Oh my God, look, we got checks. So I say to people, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea how to build this. And yet here I am with what looks like a pretty good proof of concept. If you add a zero to some of these numbers, we're going to be making a lot of money. And everybody says, oh, don't worry about revenue, just scale. Okay, but in order to scale, I need a teeny bit of money because that's how we're going to build the next thing to grow. So I think my husband said it best when everybody said, you need a tech co-founder, the guy in the hoodie who's 27, who makes me not look like the old grandma in the room kind of going. Arr. So <laughs> my husband said it best when he said, I don't know if you need a tech founder. I said, why not? He goes, I think you're doing pretty well on your own. I think you just keep following your instincts and just keep, don't listen to everybody. Just because the last wave of tech had these young guys living in their parents' garage making things, that doesn't mean that the next big story has to look like the last big story. And that reminds me of itself. Like people kept following us and copying us and doing everything we did. And one day I was lamenting to my art director, like everybody's copying us. And she goes, you're the only one who knows what you're going to do next. That's a good line. I got to remember that line. So I just keep kind of following my instincts into the place that I think we should go. And now suddenly investors want in. And now suddenly we're getting traction. Suddenly, four years later, we look successful, but it was scrappy, scrappy, scrappy block and tackle every step of the way. And now Ebates is working with us. And Good Morning America syndicates us. And I don't know. It just, it feels real. Suddenly, oh my God, I have a real company. How did that happen? I don't know. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I just completely agree with everything you said. And also you just have to build a good network. I think living in New York is such an opportunity and you can meet, you know, people think social media is about your following and this and that. And it really isn't, especially for me, because you've got Instagram changing its algorithms every time. I used to get 4,000 likes a photo. Now, please let me get 400, 600, whatever it is, which sounds like a lot. But when you're used to your audience seeing your content and suddenly Instagram's deciding, you know, great, you've got 64,000 followers, but we're just going to show to 3,000 and you're like, what did I do this whole time building all these people if I can't do that? So you're trying to not rely on just one thing or another. That said, who is following you? Just because I don't see your content all the time does not mean that we don't follow each other and I can just reach out to you for this or you reach out to me for this or I have done a lot of favors for a lot of things and a lot of people over the last 10 years. So suddenly if there is this opportunity or you're just networking and you meet somebody who you have this great idea, they can help you get there because I'll tell you now, if you try to email, I have all these great collaboration ideas, right? And I'm, oh my God, this is the most brilliant idea I've ever had. They don't even know it, but I could rush this for, I get them tons of prints. And they're like, maybe, what are you talking about? Then you see them in person and it's somebody who's, let's even say their boss is a boss and they think you're the most brilliant person. So you just never know. And it's the connection. It's the connection and them seeing things and being really in person where people get a feel and an understanding and a reaction. I got into Urban Outfitters because they saw a collaboration I did. They were physically 
physically there. They saw the product. They loved the way it looked. I'm pretty sure if I emailed them and was, can you work with me? I'm a team of one. And yeah. this great. They'd be like, cool. I'll come back in five years. Well, I think that's like a big part of being a pioneer and being early to the game. You have to make the call. Are you the pioneer? And are you going to be okay with that and accept who you are and just do it? Because if you are, then people aren't, and this is something I got from my podcast with Lucy, but people aren't always going to see your vision. No. And it's true. So you just have to stick to your vision and keep going. And to your point, you can do a lot of things on a budget now, things that used to be very expensive and you just can't be lazy or you have to have, again, a network where you listen, what's wrong with this Facebook ad or what is the next way to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm trying to get this audience. And honestly, someone in your network probably has an easy answer. I'm not saying go have them create a deck for you, but if it's a really quick, I give people information all the time. It takes me five minutes of my time and I know it makes a big impact or difference in the decision maker of what they're doing. So get enough of those in your life. So they're the expert. If you're not a tech expert, make sure somebody in your life is. Don't annoy them. But if you have a simple question or give them something you can offer in exchange, you know, I think that's really the give and take. And I have really strong, I've self-funded everything. So for me, I had to be very conscious of my budget. You know, even when I was deciding with manufacturers and who in the quality, you know, there were so many compromises that would have had to have been met if I even did things in the U.S. Like I was really adamant when I launched that I wanted that. And then when I saw how poorly I was treated as a small business and the costs that were so high, the turnaround time, the conversations, I was so disappointed because I've always saved the garment district. I shopped and bought all my samples. You realize too, you have to make certain business decisions because you want a quality product. You want people to love it. You want the grade. I mean, for me, the metals and things we use have to be the top of grade and all this other stuff. But you have to really look at these things when you're creating a product because it's your brand, it's your name. And you care about it. So I think that's been, when you're talking about, when you buy things that don't matter in the beginning, I also am big in recycling. Like I recycle all the bubble wrap and crinkle paper I get from brands sending me gifts because I, for the blog, all this stuff. So I'm like, anything I can reuse, tissue paper, I'll reuse it if it looks good. If we try to be as sort of sustainable. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, maybe I want ones with my logo on it. Oh, and let me get these blah, blah. And then I don't need any of this stuff. This is really a waste of money. What was I thinking? No one cares. It's so important to think about all of those things when you're building a brand. I also think having a brand voice is important. So, and how do you guys feel about that? I mean, the look and the feel is important, but also it's your voice. How do you cultivate that and communicate that? I mean, I've always been around creatives that were branding, branding, branding. I mean, at NARS, we were so strict. My boyfriend is an incredible creative who works in the agency world and he will never, I tried to do some things and he, he will reject anything that does not look on brand good fits my mold. I mean, you just got to look at your personality and same thing with your voice. My right. product line is convenience, girl on the go, affordable price point, you have reusable straws, but they're not going to get yucky in your purse. They come in a little plastic case. It can be on your keychain, so you'll actually use it. I want to, but it's in a little cloth container and I don't really want to carry that around. Camera straps that also double for your water bottle. You can wear this necklace. You can do a hundred other things. I'm very convenience fun. I have a lightning bolt logo because I love lightning bolts. Like it feels like me. Yeah. It's very authentic. I joke, we made these boss rings. They literally say boss on them. For my launch party, they were like not supposed to be made. They were just supposed to be for all these badass women I had coming to the party that I just loved who were entrepreneurs, editors, TV people, moms, sisters, blah, blah, blah. And this like amazing. So we made them and we got so much social attention. Everybody wanted one and they were my number one seller forever because, and we made them. So you just, to your point earlier, too yeah. you listen to people I was not I'm going to start a boss ring company right you just felt the vibe I was and like, you did I it I love boss yeah. ring I'm going to make this and you know I, I need evolved. one of those now yes I, I mean Lucy with, getting one <laughs> with, I need a boss ring too but Definitely. Lucy with Hinted I mean you started one way and now 
you've kind of evolved. So yeah. was your brand voice the same though? Well, it's so really funny. My computer's full. I don't know if this ever happened to anybody. You have to clean it out. It's like cleaning out your closet. It's awful. So <laughs> I have to go through every single document because I've, you know, been writing a book. Da, da, da. So I don't want to throw away just everything. So I go through every document. I open it up. And one of the first things that I found was a sort of 10-point brand filter that I felt really important about with anything I built under the auspices of my new entrepreneurial life. And one was just to be positive. It has to help you make your life better. It has to be pro-female. There's a lot of things. It has to be pro-creativity. So when I looked at that filter and I thought about Hinted, I was, I check every box on here. If you're going on a trip and you make your Hinted list, it's you don't need everything that's coming at you in your feed. You just need the certain right things that help enhance the life that you're trying to build, right? So if you're trying to also save money, buy an apartment, be a responsible person fiscally, maybe you're also envisioning in your mind's eye that Instagram you're going to make when you're on your spring vacation in a hot climate and you have a bathing suit and a hat and, blah, 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 and you're reading a book. Your hinted list can be, I need these things for that trip. And then as you see more stuff in your feed and it goes past you, you kind of go, nope, nope. That doesn't make the list. Nope, nope. So it's more mindful and purposeful purchasing where you can to really decide you're buying something for that trip, but everything else you're going to save for that bigger goal of either going back to school or buying an apartment, whatever it is for you. So I really felt philosophically the approach of Hinted had to be help you create the life you want by spending to the purpose, right? So that doesn't mean that you don't get the joy of purchasing a new pair of boots that you just are going to bring you joy in a way that nothing else can. But you have to know the what we call the why of the buy. Why are those boots important to you? Why do they fit on the list as opposed to everything else that doesn't? And there's this great stat that like out of 100 things, people that you get in your feeds, you buy maybe one, maybe less than one. But on Hinted, it turns out you buy five of the things that are on your list. And that's really because you've already pre-sorted. You've already done all that sort of let it wash you by. Like you're not going to touch things that really don't matter. And when you think about walking through a store, you go from here to there and you really see a whole lot of stimulation. And you maybe touch one thing and you try on one thing and maybe you buy one thing or maybe not. But so we're giving you that process online where you you can bookmark and save what you really love, but you don't have to just be feeling like you're inundated or pressured by all these buy now, buy now, shop now, shop now. It's on your terms. So we put you back in control of your purchase journey from discovery to collecting it to saving it. And then we send you an on-sale notification when it goes on sale, and then you can buy it. So we're hopefully bringing you into a place of empowerment about being a consumer. And I think that that's really powerful for women. So I think it really matters what your philosophy is, your approach, the language, the voice, the vernacular, the visual language you use, all of it matters. And if something doesn't feel right and we're off step somehow, I immediately know it and I can change it. I think also that's a really important point too, is I think you have this idea, this great creative idea and you want to do it. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's look like. It's going to be amazing. But you have to leave room for it to evolve and change. And it will, because all of a sudden, wait, this would be great as this or all the extra features she mentioned. You don't really have that vision when you start. Mm -hmm. So it's really just looking at that. And then on the flip side, I have a hundred ideas, new products, new sayings, new fun things, partnerships. Oh my God, so many great ideas. But when you're the one who has to execute it, have those meetings, do the contracts, pack it, whatever, whatever, make it, it can be very overwhelming. So I think mm -hmm. it's really important to sort of put those ideas in every day. Someone's going, I have this great idea for you. And you, I've had that idea. But to execute that idea, 
is just so out of your realm at that moment, especially if you have to fund it and everything else. So I think it's really is important going back to your previous question. When you're looking at your budget to figure out, you know, unless you have investor partners or different people who can be that expert or really mitigate those risks, is really to look at, okay, kind of like the boss rank. This is now a strong this could be a strong seller for me. And, you know, the margins will be good enough that I can make this and feel good about it and the quantities too. Because when you're when you're dealing with a physical product, which I'm sure in the tech world is the same as building something out, sometimes it's cheap, sometimes it's really expensive. So it's really looking at the value of doing that thing and putting that investment in it and then making sure that you can support it. Because it's not always just, I have great ideas all the time, but if you're not going to promote it in the right way, I mean, every day someone's, I didn't know you had this, I didn't know you had that, you know. And it's my fault. And I'm conscious of that because we didn't push that item or I didn't do certain things because I didn't really have the time to invest in. So when I look at new products or even collaborations, people I'm supposed to meet with, sometimes I move it by a week because I'm like, you know what? Even if we have a great meeting right now, I'm not ready to do what I want to do. And, even and the with follow-up is everything. Absolutely. And even with Urban Outfitters, for me, it was really on my radar to be very conscious of what they were going to need from me and not overbook myself. I mean, I love to overbook myself. I want to have coffee with everyone. I'm hanging but I just could not do that while I was working on this thing that needed, potentially needed a lot of attention or a little attention, whatever it is. But you don't want to do things poorly. And I think that's really the other thing, too, is the quality. And I see this all the time because I'm on the other end and I have been for 10 years. I meet with brands all the time and their marketing is off or their packaging is off or who they're targeting is off or they're just their whole sense of what their brand is. And when you see that enough, you just realize that when you launch your own small or big, you have to make sure it makes sense and yes. to your brand and also to you, but also who you're trying to talk to and who is, are you that person who is targeting New York women all over the country? Some things are very open. Some things are not. And if you're a niche brand, and even some of these perfume brands, you're like, we're just $1,000 for this. Okay, great. You're obviously cutting your audience in certain ways, based on your price, based on your availability, based on a lot of different things. So just be very mindful of those things because there's no right or wrong. It's just, but your marketing is very important. Speaking of building audiences and generating sales, you guys both started in media. So you were building audiences through eyeballs and subscribers, but now you're generating sales. And Lucy, I would say that you're doing the same. So how are you doing that? Are you doing email campaigns or obviously you're on Instagram, but what are some of the things that people in the audience that are building companies or listening on the podcast can do? And what are the things that are the biggest bang for your buck versus a reach, but worthy? So I think that even though we all hate email, it is truly the one thing that helps us with awareness and driving people most directly back to the platform. And obviously there are spam filters and problems with all sorts of things like that. When we bought a vowel over the summer, we went from hinted with no E to hinted with an E. I didn't realize that the previous owner of that, hinted.com, had been spamming. So I found out recently that the reason that our open rates went down was that we had had this terrible rating from Google on domain names. So I had to change the domain name that our emails are coming from. But what is interesting about email is as much as people don't like it, they do look at it. And unlike Instagram, which can change the algorithm, and for me, one of the nightmare moments itself was we were huge on Pinterest way back when, and then Pinterest just decided to not showcase content. They just decided stop. So our... 
executives went out and met with them and said, hey, what's going on? And yeah, whatever. We just didn't want to do it anymore. And okay, that's a huge problem for us. So you don't want to build a business based on somebody else's algorithm or somebody else's business. So even though email can get flagged as spam and we need to work on our situation, I still think email is important. And as annoying as it is, People who subscribe and open your emails, you're super awesome customers that you really want to love, right? So we spend time making those interesting, and then we work with what I call amplifiers, which are publishers and people like Good Morning America that put our content and syndicate our content out there. And we try to give it away as much as we can. And then obviously Instagram is huge for us, Facebook secondarily. But the most important thing I think is Whatever the messaging is, you need to tell your partners, this is how we're going to promote it, and this is where we're going to see some return on investment, and this is where we're going to create awareness, lead generation, and hopefully sales. But in a sense, I'm more a magazine about what to want, so I can't guarantee sales. I can guarantee lead generation and awareness. We're going to send this out to our community, and they're going to start to put it on their hinted list, and it's going to join that peer-to-peer marketing digital dialogue that everybody thinks is so magical because your friend said, I think this is cool. So now you're going to think, well, she's cool, so I think it's cool too. That's key. That's really more important than if you see it in your feed from a sponsored moment. Even though you might sort of look at it and it looks shiny and new and cool, you might kind of go, yeah, but I don't really know anybody who uses that. So We work with all sorts of channels and we work with all sorts of partners and we're doing sponsored content, curated content, all that stuff. But I would say this, I think that the most authentic content we can get is when a user creates a list and says, this is what I like. And we, we pay a lot of attention to that. I have loads of advice. Just going off of that, exactly. Like, you do not want to put all your eggs in one basket. You just never know what's going to happen, and especially because you're not in control. Even with Instagram, I'm in a weird situation where mostly my pretty connected feed versus my pretty connected shop feed, which is more just the products, it's a mix of not necessarily personal, but going to events and different products I find. And I'm not going to really advertise my dog and I wearing an awesome matching outfit because I'm not paid to do it and I don't have a budget for that. But that's what you sort of need for Instagram to like your content. And maybe because of my following or I don't know what, they think I'm, and I do have a business account. They think that you're a company. So they're, of course you want to spend money on this. Whereas you do need to spend money on, I don't mind spending money on the shop or promoting camera straps or certain things and targeting an audience. So their advertising system is, it is effective and they've got great analytics and they even have people emailing you once you get to a certain level with being willing to help you because they really want your money. Looking at Facebook ads, analytics, all that, that is a part of your business. It does make sense. Google AdWords, Shopify, And I'm on Etsy as well. Etsy has their own SEO and different things. So just spend some time getting to know that or asking them questions. Press, obviously. And again, I love being in a magazine. I've been in a lot of major magazines. It's the best feeling. Mom, go buy this. It feels really great. But when online changed the game, the traffic you get from somebody being able to click something versus seeing it, they want to read an article, but you want to get those instant sales. And everything, too, is how you position it. People think that if you just do a quick story or a little mention somewhere, wherever in this article, it's going to do a lot versus if they display a picture of your product or they really show you how it works. Like the real estate and how you get that real estate is a little bit of a different game changer than it just being there for the sake of being there. I recently did a radio show, Jenny Hutt. She's amazing. And I'm so used to doing TV radio for other people, their brands. And and I don't really know what the return is. Yes, they love me and it's done well. And I don't really know what that looks like. All I know is I did this show 
she asked me so many questions about me and my line. And she was, I'm literally on your site. And oh my God, this reusable straw is so cool. And this is, and she was talking about it. And I love this. And I was only on it for five minutes. I got off my whole Shopify, went crazy. I had thousands of dollars. In I was, what? So in those cases, you see like a direct result of somebody doing it. Did you know before that that was going to happen? Oh, not at all. I mean, I wouldn't even have thought that was the power of it. But suddenly I understood why all those brands, when they would see me on something, would be like, if you could slip my product in or what. Can, That's so you funny. Know, it really, again, if she had just introduced me, I've been on other shows and it's your name, your handle. It doesn't mean you're going to get followers because you see that TV person on and they're and expert and you're not, oh, I got to go follow them right away. So I've done major shows and I haven't really seen, wow, I got a gazillion followers because I was on that. But just because, and again, it was what I was just saying, like the way it was displayed versus seeing that in an online setting, seeing it in someone talking about and looking at your product and telling their viewers, really curating what I had done. The return I saw was so incredible and it was just completely unexpected. So I think really looking creatively and you just never know what's going to happen. That's the thing. I think looking at press online, also with the other big secret, and this is going to shock It's not everyone. a secret anymore. It's not a <laughs> secret, but the more proactive you are about your brand, the more it's going to do. So for instance, if you see an article that's written in self or any magazine, any online, whatever you like, look at who wrote it. Chances are they may not even be on staff. They might be a freelance writer. And if they write those types of products, go follow them on Instagram, see what's going on, direct message. We live in this time where if you want to take control of your brand, you can, and you now have this two-way conversation. And that's what I was saying earlier about social media. It's not just there to look at, I have all these followers and I want to love myself and serve pictures of myself. It's there for you to network, to learn about things whether you're on in learning about new products you want, whether it's this person went on an amazing trip, like I saw they wrote, read that book, what was that book again? This is gonna make my life easier, I can put it on a list. Whatever it is, we're all looking for ways to save time, find new products and network with each other in one capacity or the other, so optimize that. And speaking of networking and optimizing, my last and final question before we wrap up, how do you optimize your workouts? <laughs> So what are you funny. doing these days? No, I'm talking to, to Lara first because I we're going to get to triathlon after. Everything except the triathlon, which I admire you girls. I have some beauty girls who do that. You are all my heroes. I love to try different things. I love class pass. I love working with them. I love trying because some days, you know what? I want to go to the gym and be left alone, put on my headsets and go for a run. I love being out in nature. That's how I max. If I can go hiking. And or is that how you sort beach. of disconnect from 100%. your work and everything I else that you're doing? I rescued a dog two years ago and he's just convinced me that I need to be outside more. Love city bike. I love, you know, I'm really about efficiency. I'm the one of those people who does 12 things at once. So for me, the idea that I could be exercising and getting to my meeting is like genius for me. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do like city bike. Okay, Lucy, tell well, me. I just want to say one other I know, thing. Lucy's a triathlete. I was looking for the fact that we did a reusable straw story, and sadly, I didn't know about yours. So we got to get her on this platform because I I want Lucy to like it because I think she's really cool. So well, that's nice. We're, really cool. Yes. We work downtown at another <laughs> place, and there was this whole straw awareness situation going on with this benefit. How are we going to get people to give up straws? And that was a year ago, and now. It's happening. And it's just so amazing, the power of an idea like that. And if you get Adrian Granny or people behind it, it can really happen. So, okay, working out. This is sort of my life. I mean, I really love to be active. And I feel that being active is mentally and psychologically and emotionally a way to really take care of myself. And one of the frustrating things about being a founder is – 
a lot of my work happens sitting in a chair or sitting at my computer. And as much as I'd love to get a standing desk or I'd love to get a treadmill desk, I work in a collaborative space where that really isn't an option right now. So I get up really early and I get to the park. I'm dog sitting for my brother just rescued a dog. So I'm dog sitting for this dog and we're out at five in the morning and then I'll go to spin class and whatever, do my thing. And then I go downtown and I really try to get it done well before my day sort of officially starts because if I don't, it's not going to happen. So I'm one of these people who was never a morning workout person and I trained myself to be one. And I think it's really, really important if you feel that your well-being and your emotional sort of balance is benefited by being active, then I think you have to take time to invest in yourself and you have to say to yourself, okay, I know this hour when I could be sleeping is going to be spent being active. And even though this morning I didn't want to wake up early, but my running partner did. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to do it. So I got up an hour earlier and I went to the park. Now at a certain point, you got to back up your bedtime. So that means that maybe you're not watching Colbert and maybe you're not staying up till one in the morning on reruns of Friends. But it does mean that you're going to prioritize that workout. And if you do it enough, you sort of tell yourself, I'd rather go to bed early and get up early and do this thing that's super important to me for my health and well-being than watch like yet another stupid TV show that I really don't need to watch. So it's kind of being a grown-up and that behavioral switch where you say, I'm going to put myself to bed. I know I could stay up late, but I'm going to put myself to bed because I'm going to prioritize this activity level that I really need to do to be a happy person. And that way, today doesn't just get away from you one more time and it's seven o'clock and you're still at your desk and you don't want to go to the gym because you just really want to go have drinks or have dinner and you're tired. So I think if I don't get it done in the morning, it doesn't happen. So that's how I do it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, if I don't have a workout, that's what fuels me for success in my business. If I don't have a workout, I put it on the schedule. I set it up like a meeting and then I just go and I do it. And if that doesn't happen, everything else is off track. It's the thing that keeps me doing all the work and all the other things that I do. So Barney's more disciplined than I am. No, but now that I launched this podcast, I have been spending the time that I would be working out creating the podcast, but it's okay. (laughs) Does anybody have any questions? This has been so awesome. Thank you so much guys for coming tonight and being on this panel and part of the new series that we're doing with Marnie on the Move and Talent House at WeWork. Does anyone have any questions for my lovely guests? Stephanie Rubin from Talent House. Hi. Thank you guys for coming. Really good takeaways. How do you, I guess my question is with all the content that's out there with all these larger brands and how it's constantly shifting, how do you maintain, as you guys were talking, that voice while staying relevant and nimble while handling the ever-shifting landscape of how content and connecting with those brands and your your audience and consumer? Such a good question. I mean, we talk about this a lot, which is you have to continue to reinvent all the time. Every time you think you're done, you're not done. And so as a magazine editor itself, people would say to me, what's your favorite issue? And I'm like, the next one, because (laughs) they would like the one that's on the newsstand. We would have already shipped a second one beyond that. And then there's a third one on the drawers and then on the layout tables. And then there was another one that we were conceiving. I was always more excited by the one we were conceiving. And the truth of 
publishing is you send people out on a shoot and it gets stormy and certain things just don't work and you have to come up with ways to make things work that are expensive and that you've invested in. But I always, the creative brain is always thinking about, I want to do something different next. And that's sort of, you know, not to compare myself with the true artist, but you'll hear anybody, a singer like Taylor Swift, saying, what's your favorite album? It's the one I'm writing. I really believe that if you allow your brain to free up, and sometimes that happens for me when I'm running or biking, you can conceive of, I need to change things. If you're bored with what you're doing, chances are your consumer is too. So if it's not working in your brain and you're getting excited about a new idea, then I always say to people, every time I do a plan, that's what we should we do today, in a month, in six months, or six years. It's always the thing that's furthest out on that timeline that I get excited about, and then I bring it back up. Why don't we just do this today? <laughs> so I think you have to think forward, right? And if you're not thinking forward, surround yourself with people who challenge you to do that, even if it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's just exactly everything Lucy said. I mean, I will only continue it with being creative is sort of in your bones or not. Either you're really good at this one thing and you only want to do that one thing and that's fine. But when everything Lucy said, I relate to her so much. And so you kind of are going off instinct. And part of it is you think you're brilliant or whatever, but it's also looking at what's out there in the marketplace and being out there and reading different things. And then when you have this moment of clarity, it's, oh, wait, this would be something I could do. And it's not because everybody else is doing it. That doesn't really excite me. In fact, if I see other people doing it, I have to go the other way because it's not going to work for me unless I can take that idea and make it so much better and so much more practical and feel like people will. And I have a great audience and friends and whatever, and I can show that to them. And if they're excited, after people around will tell you that's a terrible idea or that's an amazing idea because, or that's an amazing idea, but if you can't get the price to here, or this is how I would do whatever it is, because that's how you're going to just keep evolving and changing it. And same thing. I think the future of a lot of things are partnerships. I love, also have a beauty charity. And the way we launched it and launched it so quickly is I partnered with a nonprofit. I spent so long researching them. All I want to do is find a sustainable way to donate unused beauty products. So brands, when they repackage, have a place to donate. Magazines, editors, individuals, me, who gets a thousand things, we can give them to women's shelters. But that didn't really exist when I started it. And people were worried about liabilities. And I was worried about liabilities because you want to do all this good, but wait, I don't want to be responsible for it if something goes wrong, but I also don't want to put a ton of money into it because really I'm already giving all my time and products and resources, blah, blah. So we went with a nonprofit that actually had great relationship with different shelters, but specialized in food education and other things. And this is perfect. You guys have worked at all this stuff. We created a program together. It's just a program. It took five seconds. We brought on a wonderful partner, Le Sports Act, who donated past season's brands, uh, past season bags. We filled them. We work with different shelters all around the city, and we donate. So the idea became so much more simple once the steps and the groundwork was there. And I think that's part of kind of creating these big and great ideas. It's the same thing with my camera strap line that also works with water bottles and 10,000 other things. My next partnerships that excite me is to work with fitness brands that want to do cool things with this because I haven't seen it done. Or it's a new way to merchandise your water bottle or carrying around your yoga bag. Why don't you want to carry around your water That's bottle a with idea. a chain or a different strap? So again, and when I launched my brand, I launched my brand with, with It Cosmetics. They did a special collaborative strap with me for a press trip they wanted to do with Disney where they wanted Instax cameras so that when everyone was running around Disney, they could 
take pictures. Usually take your camera, it's in your bag. But when you're wearing it, you're going to take pictures all day long. It's going to be fun. People are going to love it. They hadn't seen it, blah, blah, blah. So again, it's just taking that level. If you can't do this because you don't have the resources, who does and how is it going to be mutually beneficial for your brand? So I think that's a lot of the evolution instead of all of us doing the same thing and wasting our resources and our time. (laughs) Yes, that's awesome. Great question. Anyone else? Lori Mazur. Hi, it's so nice to meet you officially. I feel like I've listened to the podcast and gotten all the great advice and to meet you for the first time. I am very curious how you've both maintained a singular voice and the face of your brand, but also managed to cultivate the team of individuals that help you to get everything done. And I know that might be different at different phases in your company, but it would be great if you could speak to that. I think it just depends. What do you need for anything you're going to execute or launch? Is it a, if you need to get something manufactured, you want to put those people in place. If you need a photographer, if you need a videographer, if you need celebrity spokesperson, whatever it is, your friends, I just look at who kind of does what and then try to hire them based on what I'm trying to do. Or again, fitness has been a part of my brand for a long time, but then I have really great fitness instructors I've worked with or interviewed with, and they are going to be the people that I would, hey, who do you think would want to do this? Or I met this fitness head five years ago. This is the time when I would go and reach out to them. And then as you need support, whether it's freelancers, whether it's your friends who, yeah, when you get your next Urban Outfitters order, I'll be there to pack it with you. You just want to have people on your roster so that you feel supported. It's not about needing them every second of the day. And also a lot of companies will reach out to me. Oh, we hired my friends looking for hourly work. They were really great when we needed them for X, Y, and Z job. And so I just try to collect as much of that. And then everything else is just scheduling your time. I do a lot of things alone and I just make my poor boyfriend do it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, he's like, have your people. And, you know, but you need a designer. You need, there's certain You definitely need a designer. You need a designer. I even try to take my basic pictures and product shots and you just got to watch some videos on lighting and which camera do you, and if you got good lighting, go outside. Outside is great lighting. Grab a piece of poster board, put your product on top. It'll look like you're in the studio. You got to find the hacks and you have to be able to like, yes, if I can get this person, this would be amazing. But if I have to do it myself, can I do that? Or which studios in the city am I going to use when I need to do this? Because it's going to make your life easier. And if it's, you know, I don't know what industry you're in, but even when I used to do TV stuff, if a brand did not have budget for hair makeup or whatever. It's you better know your people or I'm going to go to dry bar. I'm going to go to Blushington. Like these are the, cause I'm not going to show up and represent my brand in a way that does not feel on brand for me. So just have the things you need, but we have, I don't know, tons of apps and things for things that you can get a conference room or people's apartment per hour and living, whatever you need, just build that. Do you have like certain things that you, are there like two or three things that you're, I'm just not going to do that. I need to hire someone. I think you always have to know your strengths and your weaknesses. I'm not the best writer and I'm not the best at everything. So I've surrounded myself with people who are actually more talented than I am at all times. I always think if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So I want to be in the room where I'm the dumbest person in the room. And I want to surround myself with people who can tell me and teach me. But for your own voice, you still need to explain to them the goal, the why, your vision, and be super transparent. So I'll sit with somebody, I'm training somebody right now who's brand new to our company, and I'll explain to him, I'll explain to her, like, I don't mean this to sound critical or tough on you, but I'm going to tell you something. I think this is a really obvious sentence that if I read this, I would probably click off this email. So I think skip all the obvious stuff and start the conversation like you're talking to a friend. You already know each other. 
just get right to that. So I'm trying to train this person to write captions. She's brilliant stylist. She's got great taste. She's a great market editor, but she hasn't been a writer before. So if you just keep explaining and giving feedback at all times and you do it with respect and decency and you never say that somebody's stupid, you're mm-hmm. going to get a lot more out of that person than if you just kind of go, you don't get it. I'll just do it myself. Well, you're not helping them get it. You have to help them get it. And when I say get it, like get what's in here. It doesn't mean you're right, but if it's your company and you have a voice that you're trying to get out there, here's what I think the voice is. I think it has to be this, not this, and keep teaching all the time and tweaking, 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 because they want to get it. And if they're not getting it, it's kind of on you because you're the teacher. So when something goes wrong, I have to say to myself, okay, I obviously didn't explain this very well. Let's try this again, rather than just yank it back. Don't yank it back because you've lost their enthusiasm and now you're doing it twice. So I think that's the total fail. I think you have to learn to delegate, but you have to learn to teach. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing to learn to do as an entrepreneur is to have other people do things for you in your company. And that is a lesson I definitely need to learn. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Someone else had a question. My. Hi. So as entrepreneurs, has there been a moment where you felt like your business was going to fail or go down the deep end? And how did you overcome that and discern that as more of a bump rather than this is not going to work? I don't think you ever get over that feeling. I think that feeling is a constant. I think that's part of what drives you. And I think that it's healthy. And what I think you have to learn to do is live with that feeling and understand that failure is always a possibility. I look at Snapchat and I think that. Failure is a possibility. It doesn't matter if you've IPO'd. I don't care. I mean, look at MySpace. Look at the carnage along the way to where we are here. And I think that if you understand that failure is always a possibility and you strive to succeed, somewhere in the middle is the process called running a company. And I think the minute you think you can't fail is the day you've started to fail. I have a really weird way of thinking about this. I'm going to be really honest. So I like things to be so that it's never going to fail in the sense that I don't set up, I didn't put more into my brand that I couldn't lose. And some people, and I think that was partially why I was really obsessed with raising enough money on my own. If everything went and I was bankrupt tomorrow, I still can live, everything's fine and not putting more in for that reason. And it made me take certain cutbacks and decisions and how I wanted to do things and launch things. And even when I was launching, I almost made a really stupid move. I almost put way too much into the manufacturing because just the way I was going to do things. And I'm so glad that it didn't work out because now looking back on it and being so much wiser and smarter with what things should cost, how you can do them, how you can do them more efficiently. I chose to have a higher cost of goods too because I wanted a smaller quantity. And even though I wasn't going to make as much or even really be that profitable, for me, it was, this is my opportunity to get my brand out there. I'm not going to lose money on it. And it's going to be a great opportunity to enhance my brand. And also for me, because Pretty Connected isn't just the accessory line. It is the TV stuff I do, the stuff I put on the blog, Instagram, the collaborations I do. I wanted to be, play more into the women entrepreneur space. I love that space. And the way I love the fitness and wellness space, there's certain spaces as you become an entrepreneur in anything you do and whatever, and where you're, wow, I I appreciate the people I'm around in this certain space. I want more of that. And I want to develop things in that direction and surround myself with those people. So 
With your failure question, yes, I know it can happen, but I try not to put myself in a risky place. And even let's say tomorrow it goes bankrupt. I'm great. It was a limited edition time. I did some really cool collaborations with awesome brands. I launched an Urban Outfit. They can drop me tomorrow. I'm like, I still did that. I still created this thing. And not for nothing, it can live online on my site forever without it costing me barely anything. So even if I have that inventory, you're only as big as you see on the internet, right? Sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, your brand is so big. I'm like, my brand is not huge. It seems that way at certain moments or because I've partnered with certain people and brands and that is amazing. But that's the illusion that you're taking away from that. Mine is very well managed. Even with Urban Outfitters and certain things, I can't handle over an order over about this much unless they were willing to work with me, which is amazing. I need this much notice because I'm not going to buy 500,000, 100,000 units and have that sit in my apartment warehouse. I have a separate <laughs> office. I don't have the money to do a warehouse of what people would normally do with the line. I'm Listen, I have this space for my office for Pretty Connected. We're going to use it. If you're spending that in New York, I'm going to get people and we're going to warehouses because warehouses make a lot of mistakes. You're paying for shelf space. You're Now, granted, if my orders were a certain amount of money a month and I felt like that was consistent, I would go down that path. I would look at those numbers. But until then, I try to figure things out so I never feel I can really fail. Even if I said everything goes, yeah. you know. It's I just, like her answer better. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, but hers makes sense. And I but, did. But I want to add something I think is really important, which is I think that if fear holds you back, you have failed. The, I tell my kids this all the time. The only failure is the failure to try. And if you don't try, you failed before you even took the first step. So, of course, failure is possible. I get on my bike. I go, like, you know, 30 miles an hour down a mountain. I know I could crash. Not going to keep me from doing it. So I know that disaster lies in certain decisions you can make. I still want to try. Yeah. Even if failure is possible, I will not let it stop me from endeavoring to do what I want to do. I was thinking that exactly what you were saying. I feel like I am on my bike every day about to fly over the handlebars and crash on a cliff, but I'm having so much fun. Yeah. And I think it's also, like I said, it doesn't mean do it recklessly. The fear is a right. good thing. You have to be responsible because you can make really big mistakes. And even with all the great things I've done, there's been like a hundred things where people said no or whatever, but that's not on my Instagram page. That's not part of my personality. It just didn't work out that partnership or that whatever brilliant idea. But you know what? I've had brands that I would have done anything for five years ago. And I tried and I came with great ideas and they all came back at some point or another with a bigger wanting. The, so it's like, if you have a great idea, just believe in it. But also get the timing right. And also I spent so much time on that nonprofit and trying to figure out how to do it. It wasn't until I got a random email from a friend who was, aren't you talking about trying to do this? And this one nonprofit was, oh, we want to do like a little beauty drive for this little whatever. Like they just want something so tiny. And literally before I got in contact, I was like, listen, can I run your whole program? I will do everything for free. This is my idea. I want it to be long-term. And they were like, okay. You know, and then I was like, I'll bring on a partner. So like, we'll have a space to hold it all. Was you get those requests from different shelters, you approach us. We'll put an email out to the magazines and to the people. We'll get the product. Just tell us how many bags you need. So they love it. And otherwise I would have spent forever trying to make that work. So just believe in the timing and figure out other ways of doing it. If you don't have the capital, if you don't have the resources at that moment, just keep putting it out there in the universe or whatever you want to say. And meet people and tell them your idea. Maybe they're working on something similar. Had I not gotten that email from that random person I told an idea to on a bus when we were on a little press trip somewhere, I probably would never have done it or given up hope or maybe a year later. I don't know. Who knows? But I'm just saying, just keep being creative with it or try to figure out a smaller way of doing it and just make sure you're being responsible. 
That's awesome advice, both of you. Thank you. All right, that's it. We're going to hang out. Enjoy the thank you talent <laughs> thank house. You and we work. Enjoy the broth masters bone broth if you haven't had it. It's delicious. Also grab a core water. Grab two if there is enough. And thanks again. And don't forget, don't forget to subscribe to the Marnie on the Move podcast. And I will, if you are on our email list, you'll get an email from us letting you know when the episode is live so you can tune in and listen. And if you want to check out the podcast I did with Lucy, she gives lots of really, really awesome business advice. And so definitely uh, follow us on Apple or whatever platform you're on for subscribing to podcasts and get ready for some exciting things with Talent House. Thanks, Barney. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of, if you have questions for our guests, just reach out.